you were mentioning that a lot of your listeners are people who are looking to transition or new into business. Listen to my words. Do not fear making mistakes. Go for it. We made a lot of mistakes, but every time we made a mistake, we learned something new. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm really excited to bring on my guest this week. Raymond is an international best-selling author. He's an app designer, an entrepreneur, and trainer who has spent the last 18 years traveling around the world sharing his passion. He has also shared the stage with and trained many of the top trainers and thought leaders in the world today. With his high energy and heartfelt style, Robert draws on his journey from humble beginnings to financial freedom at the age of 32 to inspire individuals into tapping into their greatness. Realizing that he is not the only person who struggles, Robert clues open individuals up to the possibilities that lie within them. And that is why he is a highly sought after presenter. He has an amazing book that we're going to dig into called Success Left a Clue, which was so intriguing to me. If you guys remember anything about me talking about the event that I had last weekend, we did an escape room. So I'm really stuck on this like clue thing right now. So um, it's amazing to see that in the idea of success. And you know how I feel about success. So I'm really excited to bring Robert onto the show. Before I do, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Book Club. If you are somebody who wants accountability as you read, if you want to be able to talk about what you're learning and learn how to implement those things, then the Design Your Life Book Club is for you. And if you want to be able to connect with authors, that's what's really cool about this is every single book that we read, I bring the author in, they get to have a conversation with you and you get to build that connection. So if that sounds like something that you're interested in, click the cat link below. Or if you're watching this through the live stream on the Success Center Facebook community, go ahead and type a comment in there and let's have a conversation about whether the book club is a good fit for you. With that being said, let's go ahead and bring Robert into the show and have some fun today. <laughs> Robert, thank you so much for jumping on the show with me. I really appreciate it. Oh uh, yeah, you know, I didn't have to jump far, so that made it easy for me, Amber, so it's good. <laughs> yeah, they're not letting you really jump anywhere from Canada right now, are they? Oh, uh, don't even go there. You know, I went from flying 200,000 miles a year around the world, teaching audiences to zero. Oh. And, in, and in a year and a half, I've done one trip, which was this past March to Dubai. And it reminded me that live events will never go away. I miss them so much. But you know what? Mm. Virtual is going well, too, because I'm being able to connect with, you know, so many people in different countries all at the same time instead of having to travel all around to do it. So it's yeah, good. it's really cool. I mean, I think that 
to the extent that we can find silver linings in this, COVID gave us such an amazing perspective on the power of that virtual connection. Um, you heard me mention in the intro that I just finished my first live event. So I agree with you that they will never go away. It is a feeling like no other being at a live event and hosting it is insane. So um, I absolutely love it. So anyways, um, let's jump in really quickly. The first question I have for you, because I always have to ask this of my Canadian friends, um, what part of Canada are you in? I am in central Alberta. I okay. Yeah. So How close is that to the Calgary area? Yeah. So if the two major cities in Alberta are Calgary and Edmonton. We are dead center an hour and a half away from each one driving. Oh, that's amazing. So I always have to ask because my family still lives up there. My dad was actually born in a really small town in British Columbia called Fort St. John. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that very or not. Northern. So very, yeah, northern. very northern. So um, <laughs> super, super cool. So anyways, um, now that we got that out of the way, um, I love to start my podcast interviews by learning a little bit more about you and what got you to where you are now. So I don't know, 14-year-old, 15-year-old Robert, what did he think life was going to look like? Oh, well, you know, here in Alberta, because we have oil, we have um, farms, we have ranches, it's a very different mindset. It's very in the box. Here's the box. Don't think outside the box. Don't even question the box. And, and especially when it came to work, Amber, it was like, here's, if you have a family to support, you do whatever the job is, even if you hate it, because if it's secure and, and it's paying you money, you do that to take care of your family. And so that was kind of the, at the age of 14, 15, I was always a young entrepreneur, always wanted to make extra money because my family, if you wanted something, you had to go earn the money yourself. We didn't have extra money. And so I was always trying to figure out jobs and ways I could do that. And it, but it was always with the in the box thinking, never thought of actually working for myself until later in my life. Yeah, I can totally resonate with that. My dad was a dreamer. My grandma was a dreamer. And my mom describes it as every ounce of effort she had to keep my feet on the ground because she saw how much they struggled, right? And our parents love us and just want us to be safe. And to her, what you just described was safe. Yeah. I think everybody who describes this has that moment where they kind of got pushed out of that way of thinking. What was that for you? Well, it was a necessity. So here I am, 21. I'm still a newlywed and I'm working for a company, a factory I thought I was gonna work for for the rest of my life to the point where I was gonna become a general manager. Uh, when the factory opened, I got started in the factory. Over the next two years, I got promoted into the, the shipping receiving department from there to inside sales. So I was on that path when all of a sudden, imagine my shock when I walk into work on a Monday, the general manager calls me in and goes, letting you know we're shutting the factory down. You were laid off as of last Friday. And I'm like, wow. okay, I just, I was on a holiday. You couldn't tell me before I went on the holiday. And he goes, we didn't know. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing is because I was inside sales. I was now lower management. I was let go immediately. But had I still been working in the factory, I would have had still another month of income. And mm. in Alberta, we were in the middle of an oil bust. So there was no jobs. I went and looked for the traditional job out of necessity. I started delivering pizzas for a little pizza delivery company called Domino's Pizza. I, I mean, I don't even know who they are. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. And here I am. I'm the old guy at 21. I'm the old guy. All the other drivers, 16, 17, 18. And I actually started making more money driving because I could always convince one of them that they wanted to go party. And I would <laughs> take their closing shift because I'm also responsible. I want to support my family. Uh, and from doing that, I ended up becoming a manager 
My wife became my assistant manager and we started doing what we know to do, Amber. We started working hard, open to close seven days a week. And we were doing that for about a year and a half when necessity kicked in again and fear really hit me because all of a sudden my franchisee came to us and said, I want you to know, I've decided to get out of Domino's Pizza. I'm selling my two stores. And we'd watched enough stores around us get sold. We knew the managers were let go immediately because the new owners wanted to come in and do things their way. So my mindset went into the fear. We got to find the other franchisees. We got to talk to them, find out who needs a new store manager. And now I was qualified to be a franchisee. And I don't know how much you know about Domino's Pizza. You can't just buy or build one. You actually have to qualify by successfully managing a store for at least a year. So my wife and I were qualified, but we were broke. And so there's no way we could buy one. And so I'm going into this fear mode and tell my wife, we've got to start talking to the other people. And we were in Calgary, Alberta at the time. Uh, we we got to start talking to the other franchisees, find out who we can work for. And she looked at me and she goes, well, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy the stores or our store that we're managing? And I looked at her, I'm like, because we don't have any money. So you've decided that you um, are going to buy or your wife wants you to buy this franchise, you're convinced you don't have any money. You don't know if you have a job. You've got this fear as a motivator. So what happens next? We decided that we were going to learn how to do it. Could we do it? And we made a commitment. And one of the things that we have is we have passion. If there's something we want to do, we're going to do it. And we made a lot of mistakes. And you were mentioning that a lot of your listeners or people who are looking to transition or new into business, listen to my words. Do not fear making mistakes. Go for it. We made a lot of mistakes, but every time we made a mistake, we learned something new. We, cause we always ask three questions. What worked? What didn't work? What can we do different? And after making mistake after mistake, after mistake, after about four months, we had the confidence. We now knew what to say and what not to say that when we went to our bank and we finally got an appointment with the, the um, business manager and it was like pulling teeth. It's almost like you had to know someone who knew someone to get an appointment with them. But the moment we sat down with him and we knew what to say and what not to say, he didn't help us buy our store. He ended up actually giving us 100% financing for wow. both the stores we had for sale. And we became franchisees. And it's like, oh, we've now got it made. <laughs> yeah. So I have a couple questions for you. I want to backtrack just a minute because there's so many yeah. things that are glaring at me right now that I think that humans struggle with in this transition. And the first thing to me is you went through this transition from being a manager at a factory, thinking that you had this career, thinking that your life was set and that's where you would be forever to being a pizza delivery driver. And while there's no shame in that at all, I can imagine your ego didn't think that was a very cool move. Just took what? a little hit, that's all. Just took a little hit. <laughs> what was that like for you? And how did you turn that in? I mean, you seem like a pretty positive guy. I don't know if you've always been that way. How did you turn that into a positive to keep yourself going instead of falling into that spot that so many people fall into, that they are above or that this is a temporary thing or that they're going to wait for something better? Well, you know, it goes back to something my mom had taught me right from when we were kids. She said that no matter what your day is going like, what problems you have in your life, the moment you step through the door to go to work, you leave your problems at the door. And so I became known as Mr. Happy at Domino's Pizza because the moment I'd step through the door, I would be in a good mood. And I would actually, I, I got to the point where you've seen Amber, how one negative person can impact a whole staff. All day. Right? 
And so my goal and my mission was, if I'm going to be happy, I want to find everybody else and make it happy in here. And so when I'd step through the door, if someone was in a bad mood, I would take it upon myself to not bug them, but I would work with them and talk to them until they were having a better day. And it, I, didn't, I didn't plan this, but it was kind of cool. After a while, it got to the point where I'd walk through the door and all of a sudden you'd hear, Robert's here, everybody be, have, be in a good mood. And all of a sudden the energy would shift in the store, which was pretty cool. And because we all have crap that goes on in our life. But for me, I was taught when you're at work, you're there to do a job and you leave everything else behind. Yeah, I really like that mentality. I also wonder what was the other balance of that for you? What prevented you from compartmentalizing all of that stuff and leaving it in whatever box you put it in when you went into work? Now, um, great people around me, um, especially like my wife as an example. Very blessed. We met when we were 13. We started dating when we were 16. We got married when we were 19. We just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And um, having someone there that sees greatness in me more than I see myself, but, but that's also willing to say what's going on. Let's have a conversation. And so one of the big things for people that they don't do, and it's you know, a big clue for people, I love that you love clues, is surround yourself with growth-minded people. And there's a difference here though, Amber, because I used to be a big believer in surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And then one of my mentors gave me a paradigm shift just last year at near the beginning of COVID. And what he said is he said, if look, if you're around in a group of like-minded people that are complainers, you're going to be a complainer. He said, you want to surround yourself with growth-minded people. And the difference is a growth-minded person, if you stumble, they're there to help lift you up. If you're doing well, they're your greatest cheerleader. But they're also yeah. the person that's willing to have the tough conversations with you when needed. You know, even if it's like, look, you're being a jerk right now. You know, what's going on? And so surrounding yourself with people who are willing to do that, that allows me to compartmentalize that. I, I have an actual, I have a buddy that our, one of our agreements with each other is if either of us is having something that's just bugging the crap out of us, instead of burying it inside, we can get a hold of the other person, set up a call. And with the two of us on the call, the job of the person who's listening is to do exactly that, is let the other person vent, get it all out, not to try and fix it, not mm -hmm. try and say it's okay, but just to let it get it out. And then when it's they're done, that person will say, are you done? Are you complete? And if you're not, you keep going until you are. Once you're complete, you say, yeah, I'm complete. Then it's like, all right, appreciate your brother. Talk soon. That's it. Yeah. That's the entire conversation. You know, it's interesting because my friends and I were just talking about this last night and they were like, it's so funny that we'll call each other and we'll like process ourselves. So we'll call and we've got something on our mind and we're talking and talking and talking and we've got so much to say that the other person doesn't even get a word in. And then you're like, okay, thanks for the talk. Like this was really helpful. And they're sitting there going, oh, okay, glad I could help. Right. <laughs> so um, I love that so much. And I, it's really interesting that you mentioned your mentor because I believe if memory serves me right, the, the foreword of your book was written by Les Brown. Is that right? That's correct. I love Les. I had him on the amazing. podcast about a, six months ago, seven months ago, and he was fantastic. Um, his book, though, has a quote in it, his most recent book, that if you surround yourself with people that are exactly like you, you'll never have the life you want to have. And I had to think about that for a minute because I was like, wait a minute, 
but I want to be around people that are like me. And then I was like, no, I don't. Like, I want to be around people who remind me or show me what the world can be like that my brain hasn't envisioned yet. And you don't get that with like-minded people, right? So I love that you made that shift for yourself. Yeah, um, huge. Yeah, for sure. So I want to take just a moment to talk about what I'm going to call your after action report, because that's what I use in all of your things. Um, because I get really frustrated when people start talking about falling in love with failure. I think that's the dumbest statement in the world because you should fall in love with learning from your failures, yes. but they miss that. Right. And so they're yes. like, if you're failing, you're winning. No, you're not. Like if you're failing, you're failing. But if you're failing and learning from your failures, then you're winning. Right. And I know from reading the portions of your book, I have that you know how important being specific with your mind is. And so if you're like, well, if I fail, I win. Your brain's like, sweet, we're on a roll. I'm broke, but we're good, right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> I want to know, you know, you get done with something, you ask yourself three questions. If I remember right, you said what worked, what didn't work, and what could be different. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. How did you memorialize these? How did you make sure that you were processing them instead of just like having the conversation and forgetting about them? What was your like after action learning process like? Yeah. And this works whether I'm doing it individually or with a, whether I'm with a team, because it's now part of the culture. And the first thing to understand, there's no emotion behind it. So when you come into, especially with a team, it's not going to be a time with, okay, team, what worked? And everybody's like, rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. we did this, 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 whoa. And then when it comes to what didn't work as well, well, Johnny did this. And because you screwed up there, you, you remove that. It's just no emotion. It's a checklist. Okay. So from the, what we just accomplished, here's the things that worked. And we make the, the point form, boom, 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 boom. We just list it down. And then it's like, okay, what didn't work? And again, it, and it's tough and it takes practice, Amber. It really does. Everything remove, worth doing does, right? Absolutely. Because to be able to not take things personally and to not feel like it's being an attack, and it's tough, I'll, I'll, I'll own it. When I finish a training and I sit down with a couple of my partners and we do the debrief right away, I have to remind myself, it's not personal. This is how we're growing. And so we'll go boom, 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 boom. Because the reason you want on the not what did not work, you want it listed down, is because when you go to the what can we do different, that's where the biggest changes come from. Okay, well, we had um, 900 people on the training. And when you went into doing your offer, 200 people dropped off right away. So that didn't work. Which then when we get to what can we do different, it's like, okay, maybe we adjust the offer to being um, earlier in the program right after a break when people, when we still have a ton of value to give after, so people have a reason to stay on. You know, so it's making, it doesn't have to be major shifts or major processing or, oh my God, this didn't work, so we have to change everything. It can be the subtlest little things, but it's the habit that you create. Make it part of the culture, remove the emotion, remove taking it personally, and just, it's a task that you take and do the checklist with. Yeah, where you just said make it part of the culture, I think that that's so important. This is where um, how you lead creates the team that you have underneath you, right? And what culture mm -hmm. and what you find important. And if you go into a meeting with that ego on your shoulder, that's like, okay, um, I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I did wrong because I am the leader, right? Then 
that culture never gets created and all that emotion gets brought back into that, right? It's really interesting because um, I'm sure you remember what it was like when you hosted your first event of any kind. And oh my gosh, like (laughs) the emotions of, okay, I created it. Is anybody going to come? And then you see um, at least people in a room. We won't call it a full room because that's an unrealistic expectation. You see people in the room and you're like, man, I can't believe people came. And then, you know, you're going through all of these emotions. And, you know, I got to the end of this event and everybody kept asking me what, how the event was. And I mean, my event ended a week ago and I haven't been able to talk about it yet because like I have so much in my head that I'm like, okay, I need a minute. The thing that I noticed, and this is what I want to share because I think it's so powerful in this conversation is that there's so much that went wrong. And so much that could have been different and nobody knew, right? (laughs) Nobody knew because the value was there, right? So I know all the things that didn't go the way they were supposed to. I know all the things that I forgot to say. I know all the things that were involved in the agenda that we didn't get to. Others only know that they left with transformation and they left with connections and it was everything that it needed to be for them. And so now when I sit down to do my my after action report, it's, you know, yes, all of these things went wrong. None of them devalued the event in any way, shape or form. And, and I think that's such an important thing. Like it's not criticism. It's not, how did we screw this up? It's this event was great. How do we make the next one better? Right? Yeah. And that's it. And, and see, because I've been blessed to train thousands and thousands of trainers around the world, one of the things I teach them is that your greatest fear that you have up in your head, your head is what you're going to manifest in your audience. So if you're so focused on, I'm going to make mistakes, then you're going to make mistakes and your audience is going to notice you make mistakes. But most of the time, because you're the one that knows what you want to deliver and your audience doesn't, they don't even realize if you didn't do something, bless you, that you had meant to do. Oh, there goes a second one. <laughs> Holy cow. And- okay. So I was trying so hard to hold it because you were giving an amazing quote for my social media team. And I'm like, Amber, don't sneeze in the middle of this. Don't sneeze in the middle of this. And then it didn't happen. So I'm so sorry. Um, you know, see, I th- that's the thing. And notice you had the fear. You, yeah. I don't want to sneeze. Yes. You manifested it right there, right? I'm telling you. No, it's, you know, it's so interesting because I talk to my clients all the time about how the brain doesn't understand that negative, right? The brain doesn't understand a don't. So you're like, oh, don't trip, don't trip. I hope I don't trip, right? And then all of a sudden you're like laying flat on your face, walking up to the stage. Not that that happened to me at all this weekend. So um, (laughs) (laughs) it actually didn't. I didn't actually fall just in my head. So Um, And, and, And we do. That's what our mind does to us. Yes. You know, I love what Mark Twain said. I've had thousands and thousands of problems in my life, most of which have never actually happened. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so true. You know, part of my story is that um, I started suffering from panic attacks and anxiety attacks when magic fairies didn't come take away my compartmentalization box like I thought they were supposed to. And all of the trauma that I had decided not to deal with my entire life was still mine to deal with. And I thought it was bullshit. So I started suffering with panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And and I saw a meme on Facebook because that's where all good life advice comes from. Um, yes, of course. Um, this said I have 99. (laughs) Yes. Um, this said I have a hundred problems and 99% or 99 of them are completely made up and fictional in my head. 
like 100%, right? Mm -hmm. So now I want to shift just a little bit because, oh man, I um, can finally say that I'm actually in the middle of writing a book instead of saying I'm in the middle of writing a book and not having it started yet. I'm actually in the middle of the book. So I want to know where this idea for a book came from for you. Like, it is an excruciating process. And anybody who says I want to write a book should be committed, although they're my people. They're crazy as hell. Um, because you think, like, I'm just going to put my thoughts down on paper. And then you sit down and realize, holy crap, I got to organize this. And this is scary. So um, what made you want to write a book? And what was that process like for you? Oh, I'm laughing my ass off here because this took 15 years of writing to come to completion, 15 years. In 2002, I heard um, when I started my journey in personal development as a student, um, I was in an audience in 2002 where someone on the stage said, you know, you need to write a book. And I went, that's a great idea. I want to write a book. <laughs> Fate last words. Yeah, I, I started coming up with names and titles, but it still took 15 years until 2017 when I finally released it. And so um, for the first while, it was just a concept. Okay, I want to write a book. But then I went through the doubts. Well, what would you write about? You haven't really done anything yet. You, even though I've been a, a franchisee with Domino's Pizza, but I, I beat myself up because I'd gone into $150,000 in personal debt by the time we were eight years into being franchisees. Um, but then, hey, we went to personal development. And after a three-day training, we went from $150,000 in personal debt to retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32 but my mind wouldn't let me own that yet. So in the first number of years, I was following my passion of wanting to be a trainer. And then in 2008, I had to take a break because I overlived my passion, Amber. And, and I want your audience to understand that's very possible. I was doing 40 to 50 full-on multi-day trainings a year in North America alone, and then started opening up into Asia as well. And I was only at home on average two days a month, living my passion, but I got burnt out and I didn't realize I wasn't taking care of myself on the stage properly, that when I decided to take a year off, it turned into three and a half years because I herniated a disc and went through two, um, two back surgeries. So, oh, learning processes, nothing humbles you more than when someone, because you can't get out of bed, someone's got to wipe your ass because yeah. you can't. Like you get humbled very quickly. And it was during the hiatus that a friend of mine said, you know, started kicking me in the butt going, Robert, you said for years, you're going to write a book, write the book. Yeah. And at that point, it became a procrastination, right? Something that you'd said earlier, because you have all these thoughts in your head, you know what you want to say, but I'd open up my computer and I'd go to write and I'd be like, yeah. and all of a sudden the thoughts were gone and I'd get frustrated. I'd slam the computer closed. Two weeks later, I'd come back, open it up with the greatest intention, <laughs> slam it closed. And it took a, about a year and a half when all of a sudden I got one of those one-handed claps. And Amber, do you know what a one-handed clap is? No, I'm scared. Ah, yes. I call, so my dad was a construction worker. I call those two by fours. Yes, if you have ever <laughs> like walked around a truck at a construction site and not oh. seen what was in front of you, it hurts. It hurts. It does. I, I, I can relate because I've done that. <laughs> and I got this one hand clap of Robert, no wonder you're struggling. You've never wrote a book before, but what do you know how to do? And I know how to design trainings. That's my passion. That's one of my um, zones of genius. So I opened my computer back up and in two hours, I wrote a one day training based on the concept of my book. I phoned up one of my students cause I'm on a hiatus. And I said, you know, when's your next three day training? Can I come down and teach the first day? 
And he's like, absolutely. Are you kidding? I've been waiting for you to come do that. And so two times I flew down to Vancouver. I did the first day of his training. Now I'm in the zone, Amber. I'm on stage. I'm saying what I want to say. I'm present. So the brilliance is coming through me. It's not from me. It's coming through me. And that's what I want people to understand. When you're truly present in what you're doing, that's when the brilliance comes through. When you let go of the fears and you're not caught up here trying to, what if I make this mistake? What if that goes wrong? And you allow yourself to just be present. You may say something wrong. Learn to apologize quickly. I've had to do that around the world because I've made cultural faux pas, not knowing enough about the culture yet. But I learned to apologize quickly, authentically. And so because I was in my flow, we recorded those two times. And all of a sudden, now I sent those recordings to a ghostwriter. And within two weeks, she had put it into book format. And I now had a book all ready to go. And it was me. It was me in the book. Now, what's interesting, though, you talk about the process. That was like in 2012. It still took five years for the book to be released because now I came out of retirement. And when I finally said enough's enough, I've committed to writing the book. I'm going to release it this year. When we said that at the beginning of 2017, I pulled out the full manuscript. And in the five years since it had been written, I, I had know. learned even more that I actually went through and quickly rewrote half the book. Now, this time I rewrote it and made it what it is today. And, it, and it took me making that commitment to say, now it's time to get it out. So that's kind of the journey. Yeah. And I can totally resonate with that, right? Like the feeling like, what do I have to say? Why would anybody listen to me? I think that the um, statement that you made about like, you've never written a book before. Of course, you don't know how to do it, but what do you know how to do? I think that that's such an amazing question for people to ask themselves in anything that they're starting. So I think that that's really cool. Um, and then this process of like that procrastination and, you know, that you've talked about fear a lot in this episode. And I think that so many times that fear meets integrity, right? Like I'm afraid to do this. I'm afraid to do this. I'm afraid to do this, but I said it was what I was going to do. And then if you've surrounded yourself with those people we talked about earlier, they're going to constantly be reminding you that you're not doing what you said you were supposed to do. And as much as you want to trip them, you're going to thank them and then you're going to have a book. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, the way that this whole process goes. So I love hearing that perspective from yeah and and accountability is so critical so critical yeah and, and quit trying to do it on your own you know yes. and especially entrepreneurs or people who want to go into the entrepreneurial um um role one of the books and look i'm rereading and restudying it right now is this book right here the e-myth, the e-myth. By isn't Gerber. that good it is now see and, and notice what i said i'm rereading it even though i've been a business an entrepreneur entrepreneur for 25, 30 years now, I'm rereading it again because there's still something I can learn. I will never quit learning. And, but the, one of the biggest things is quit doing it on your own. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wanted to mention that. And then I got so caught up in like you inside my head with your um, book writing journey that I um, had forgotten about that. The, um, Reality is we sit there and think, well, nobody knows what's in my head better than I am do. So I have to do it. I was having a really interesting conversation with the company that I got my executive assistant through recently. And she was saying that when they hired their executive assistant, she had to lie to herself and be like, okay, she can do it better than me. She can do it better than me. Right. And that allowed her to give off tasks. She says, what surprised me was that she gave me something and it was better than me. Right. It was better right. than I could have done. And you realize that like, 
people may not know what's in your head. They know how to do it. And if they know you well enough, they can create something better than you ever could have imagined. Yep. And I just brought on my first assistant after years of going, I'm going to do it. And now I've got three because that was wow. it. I was interviewing her and I'm, and I'm thinking like I've gone from training all over the world. I've got thousands of pictures of me on stages you know, in front of thousands of people and, and with the top people in the world, but I never thought I could use the pictures because they had branding behind them. And I said, you know, I'm in the interview and I said, and someone mentioned to me that I can actually take myself out of the picture or blank the background. And she's like, oh yeah, that's easy. And I'm like, of course it's easy. Yeah, of course it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. Have you read the book, Your World Class Assistant yet by Michael Hyatt? No. I would highly suggest it. I'm so right now. The company that I got my executive assistant through gifted me that book when they hired me because they said, we train your executive assistants. This book will train you on how to use them. Nice. And I thought that was really cool. And this book is a quick read. It's like 150 pages. And I took 16 pages of notes. Like it's wow. so actionable. But one of the most powerful things that he says in that book that's just glaring at me from this conversation is he creates a quadrant, right? And we've all heard the time management quadrant of um, important, not important, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. but he does it different. And he's like, what are you good at? And or what are, what do you like doing? And what are you proficient at? What do you not like doing? And what are you not proficient at? Right. And then the opposite of both of those. What surprised me was the way you delegate. Because he says you always start with the things that you are not good at and you don't like doing. And that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. But then the next yeah. thing he said is you always start with things that you are not good at and you like doing. Mm -hmm. And I said, why would you get rid of something you like doing and keep something you don't like doing? And it, like he read my mind, the next sentence was, these are rabbit holes, right? Yes. You will go down a rabbit hole and you will live there and you will convince yourself that you're productive because you like doing it and it becomes a hobby in your business. And I was like, holy cow. So for anybody who's listening to this saying, first of all, I need help. Help. Um, that book is amazing to help you get comfortable with getting an assistant. Um, and if you have an assistant now, it's just fantastic. So I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I'm going to be looking that book up and, and getting as well. Because yeah, and it's, it is. She, you know, when I brought on my assistant, one of the first things she did is she said, okay, you haven't had to be on social media. Because for 18 years, I was contracting out. I didn't have to worry about promoting myself. I didn't yeah. have to worry about any of that stuff. So I had a fan page because I'm traveling around the world. I have students on Facebook um, following me, but at my LinkedIn, my Instagram, and all of a sudden she's sending me a thing. Here's what I'm going to suggest we do for your social media. Here's the calendar. Here's um, what I would need from you. And here's what we're going to create. And here's when they're going to release. And my mind just got blown. And yeah. I'm like, well, okay, I can get you this stuff, but you know, you're probably going to need some help. So all of a sudden we brought on two more part-time assistants that she oversees. I don't even have to talk to them. And they're yeah. creating the most brilliant graphics, quotes, taking pictures, and, and 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 we've created. And every month, I get all I have to do is go in and approve or not approve the different posts. And I'm like, this is easy. I like this. I, I know, this. right? <laughs> My coach always says success is easy. We just mess it up, right? We make yeah, it difficult, right? right? Um, so let's shift back to your book because there's three things that I saw in there that I really wanted to ask you about. And I could talk to you for hours. So we're going to make sure that doesn't happen, <laughs> I think. Um, well, hey, so, invite me back for another episode and, oh, and I will say yes. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll make that happen. Um, so you have, um, 
these clues, success leaves mm-hmm. clues, which I think it absolutely does. Um, but there were some in there that I thought were really interesting that I wanted you to expand on for the audience because they were so relevant to this podcast. So this is called the design or this is called the more than corporate podcast. And we talk about defining your idea of success and designing your life. And you say that defining what you want may not always be easy. And I agree with you. And I'm interested to hear why you think that's true. (laughs) Well, it's something that we've been talking about already, Amber, where the mind comes in. And, you know, you, your mind goes, I want this. And it's like, but then are you sure? But what if it doesn't work? Or, and you go through this process. But also, um, you know, one of the things that I'm big on is experience. Is I, I'm huge on vision boards, as you know. And, and in the book, first step, dream big. And I've actually even made that paradigm shift from dream boards to vision boards, which I'll, you know, can tell you about in a moment. But now what I think I encourage people to do is if there's something you put on your vision board, that you want, and you can know everything about it, but have you actually experienced it yet? So say you have a Lamborghini on your vision board. Have you actually gone and rode in one or test drove one or rented one? Because until you do, your mind says you want it, but until you've experienced it, that's when you lock it in of if it's something you truly want. Because there's what's called ego wants and true wants. Mm -hmm. And ego want is the instant gratification. I want this now. But the true want is something you're willing to fight for. Yeah. Something that if it's not going right, you're still, you're not going to just give up an ego want, you'll give up. But if it's a true want, you're going to sit there and say, okay, how do I make an adjustment? I got to take one more step towards it. Me being a trainer, that was a true want. And I went through so many hurdles. There's no way I should be a trainer today because so many roadblocks were thrown up, but because it was a true want, I was willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. You know, that's such an interesting um, example that you gave because I'm going through that right now. I had told myself I was going to buy a truck. I wanted a Tacoma. Um, I knew that I wanted a Tacoma. I miss my trucks from a kid. And so I finally decided, okay, it's time to pull the trigger. And I went and test drove a Tacoma yesterday. And I'm like, this is awful. Like I, this is awful. And um, so now it's like, What's what's interesting, and I think so many people struggle with this, is being able to say, oh, I don't actually want what I thought I wanted, exactly. instead of saying, but I, but I want it, so how do I make myself fit in this picture? Because yeah. this is what I've told everybody I've wanted, right? Right, and we're afraid of what they might think of us. Oh, Amber, you said you wanted Tacoma, but now you've gone to another truck. And, and what the, you know, here's the, here's the reality. People are thinking about us less than we think they're thinking about us. Oh, 100%. (laughs) It's so crazy. Have you guys ever had that moment where you, um, where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm sure everybody saw that. And then like, nobody even knows you're in the room. It's so crazy. Um, And for any of my friends that are listening, like the Tacoma wasn't awful. Don't judge me. It just wasn't what I expected it to be. So. Right. And I had that with, I, I, a Jeep Grand Cherokee and I had test, I, I hadn't test drove them. My, um, a couple of years ago here where I live in central Alberta, we had the winter games for Canada and my wife and I volunteered during the winter games. And I was in the motor pool, which we were driving officials around from venue to their hotels, hotels around. And I, we had a few Jeep Grand Cherokees and I had already been convinced I wanted one. And so I'm like, Oh, but see now my mind was convinced is what I wanted. So every chance I get, I'd hop in one of them to drive mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh my God, this thing's amazing. And so then we traded because we had a minivan, a caravan. 
And my wife called it her roaming van, her RV. Because when I was overseas, she would load up our pets, including my 265-pound pet pig, into the back. Stow-and-go seats would go down. She'd get the back seat as her bed. She'd go visit her sister. And because our pig's a princess, she's not a pig. She thinks she's a dog. And so it was a roaming van. Well, all of a sudden we switched and um, we got back. I'm like, okay, it's time to get the Grand Cherokee. It's absolutely what we want. And we found one. We bought it. We traded in the van. And within a couple of weeks, it was like, why did we do this? Yes. We're missing the space. She can't take Gracie with her as easily. It, there's no stone go seating. The, the, even the, the console isn't as nice and spacious. And it just all of a sudden it was like, wow. And so what are we doing? We're now going to look at going back in a van. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. So two things. Number one, it's crazy how our brain fills in conversations, right? And this happens all the time because you had said 265 pounds and I was getting ready to ask you how old your St. Bernard was. And then you said pig, <laughs> right? Because I'm a dog person. I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's a shift. Um, and so we do this throughout our life though, too, right? Like where something's happening, we're like, oh, I know the ending of this. I don't even need to pay attention, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to go on to the next thing. And then you're having a completely different experience than everybody else because you checked out, right? So um, I thought that that was really interesting um, that that filled in. And then that shift from um, what it is that you actually want versus why you want it. And as you called it, which I really liked that ego want as business owners and service providers and entrepreneurs, this is where you go from being an order taker to an actual service provider is yeah. understanding why people want what they want and providing them something that's better than they have in their head because what they think is going to give them what they want isn't going to give them what they want. And that gets missed by so many business owners. They're like, well, they said they wanted this. So that's what I gave to them. Yeah. Well, exactly. that makes you, you might as well just write down orders and deliver food. Yeah. You know? And that's it. I'm glad you make that. That's how you separate yourself to the next level. And, yeah. You know, it's a huge distinction right there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Next, um, before we run out of time, and I'm going to move this up on the list because I have a feeling we're going to dig into this one a little bit deeper. Um, you had mentioned the vision boards, which I love so much. Um, I think that those visualization exercises of seeing yourself in that thing is so powerful, but then actually putting yourself in that thing is irreplaceable. So I, I mm -hmm. love that you said that. Um, what was interesting to me is when you talk about how your dreams might actually be holding you back because they're not big enough. How do we actually convince people that small dreams hold them back and big dreams are what allows them to succeed? Well, you know, first I wouldn't say convince because someone's got to experience it for themselves, but understand that when you were a child, anything was possible. You know, one day I'm a truck driver, next day I'm a lawyer, next day I'm an astronaut, next day I'm a doctor. Anything and everything was possible. But growing up also in society came in and started teaching me to be realistic. You come yes. from a poor family. You don't have the right education. You, you're, no one in your family's ever done that. Who do you think you are? You're not tall enough, what, whatever it is. And these beliefs come in. And so we start to shrink our beliefs of what is real for us. And you know, you talk, you look at the world word um, real, realistic, be realistic, right? Or, and, and it just, it, to me, it, reality, break that word apart and put it into the word real and then I-T-Y.
your reality is going to be what is real is to you. So if you say real, it's real. And so if you go into a limiting belief that this is my only possibility, then that's going to be your reality. But if you can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to start setting bigger dreams. And, and we talked about Les Brown earlier, one of my favorite quotes of his, the problem is not that we set our goals too high and we miss them. The problem is we set them too small and we hit them. Yes. Because that's what we've been conditioned to do. So when I do my vision boards, I set huge dreams. Well, what, Robert, what if they don't come all true? A lot of mine never do in the way I thought they would. Yes. But I'll tell you, I'm way further ahead than the people that never set dreams at all, never have a vision at all. And so for me, the importance of dreaming big and really getting out there is because it stretches you. And it also then gets you to believe that something is greater for you. And then if you're struggling with that, take yourself out of the equation. You know, there's a universal principle that says this, you will be paid in direct proportion to the value you give. So if you want to have a greater life and greater things, then be of greater service to other people and find ways. What's that say, I believe from Zig Ziglar or um, not Zig Ziglar. It'll come to me who said it, but um, the greatest way to get what you want is help more people get what they want. Yes. And so when you dream big, it steps you up into playing a bigger game. And don't worry about what other people think if you don't achieve your dream. Because Robert, what if, what if I don't achieve the dream? What will that person I told think about me? First of all, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? They've got their life. Yeah. You'd be living yours and just dream big. And, and because of that, I've been able to accomplish things I never would have thought possible being that 14-year-old. Yeah, if absolutely. You me, even in 2001, when I started as a student, my first personal development training where I'm in an audience, June of 2001, changed my life. If you would have, someone would have come to me and said, Robert, over the next 18 plus years, you're going to travel around the world several times, personally teach over half a million people in live events around the world. I would have looked at you and went, you, what drugs are you on? Yeah. And can <laughs> you know, I have some? Right. Because yes. they are legal now in Canada. But it, it, it would, I didn't know what I didn't know. But because as I started to dream, I brought that dream to a reality. Did it look like what I thought it would? No. And I'll tell you, I didn't even dream big enough because I look back today and I go, wow, what I have been able to do and live in my life, I, I'm, I feel so blessed. Yeah. And it's been ups and downs. It hasn't always been good. Always ups and downs. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting that I think everybody that's listening to this can point back to at least one and probably multiple moments in their life where something didn't turn out the way they wanted to. And they said, oh, thank God that failed. Right. Um mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love that. Okay, so I want to ask you really quickly before we move into the next portion of this, because I think that this is another super powerful thing about your book, is this idea of the butterfly effect. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, I believe very much that everything is energetically created and energetically yep. connected. Um, I'm interested to hear you talk about what the butterfly effect means to you and how it applies to success. Yeah, this is for people who are good at beating up on themselves, especially is why I wanted this in the book is because we get caught up into I can't do it. I'm not good enough, whatever it is. Or I've tried it before. Those are the words you hear the most. I tried it before and it didn't work. But if you look at the butterfly effect, will the butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil cause a tornado in Texas? 
And when you look back at what Edward Lorenz really discovered is that when he was tracking those weather patterns and he just decided to make one little change, take it from six decimal points, rounding it up to one to make it easier to enter the data back into process. And it created a whole different change. Tracking you know, what was going in circles, predicting, and then one little change gave him a totally different trajectory, which looked like the butterfly's wings. That's where a butterfly effect came from. And so to me, for your dreams and your goals and what you want to accomplish in your life, even if you've done something before and it didn't work, one little adjustment could change everything. And that's yeah. where, again, that what worked, what didn't work, what can be done different becomes even more powerful because instead of beating yourself up and saying, I failed again, say, okay, what was my lesson and what's one little adjustment because that may be all it takes ladies and gentlemen one little adjustment can radically dramatically change your life yeah absolutely absolutely okay so i want to shift really quickly to the success element of this podcast as i mentioned before i believe that we design our lives by defining what success means to us and then working mm -hmm. towards that definition so i ask every single one of my guests what does success mean to you how do you define it for yourself personally well, for me, I'm a very big believer where we are holistic, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial, all those areas. And to me, it's about having some balance in all those areas. But the, when I talk about balance, Amber, it's not like everything's perfect. It's like, oh, to me, everything's always adjusting. So it's what adjust, when things go out of balance, how quickly can you readjust, readjust, readjust. So to me, success is being able to have a life where I can sit there and go, you know what? I love my life where I'm at. I love my relationships. I love where I'm at with my health. I love where I'm at with my finances. I'm, you know, where if there's something that's out of kilter, I go, okay, I'm going to put a little focus on there to bring it back into where I love it. And so that to me is success. Yeah, I, I love that definition so much. And I agree with you. I quit using balanced because I, I mean, I'm an attorney. So when I say balanced, I think scales, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I agree with you kind of that, like, well-rounded, you know, how does everything feel? Um, I, I think that's really powerful. So now the second part of this question is that micro definition of success, right? Whatever cliche we want to tie this to Rome wasn't built in a day. You don't you climb Everest one step at a time, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. In order for you to reach that big macro definition of success, you have to have these micro goals and micro definitions. So mm -hmm. every single night when you go to bed, how do you know that that day was a success? Ah, and, and well, it actually comes to how I start my days. Uh, when I start my days, I start with writing in my success and gratitude journal. And some people write it at the end of the night. The reason I write it in the morning is because at night I do a quick check-in with myself and I think about some successes and who I'm grateful for. And that's how I go to sleep is just thinking about that, which allows me to have a nicer sleep, a quieter mind. And then when I wake up in the morning, I it started off with writing down at least five successes. And what I want people to understand is a success is a success is a success. I don't write it down only if it's a big success. That's your mind putting a size to it. It might yeah. be something as simple as, you know what? I'm still breathing. Yes. yes. And I'll write that down because if you're still breathing, ladies and gentlemen, that's a success right there. And then over the years, it morphed to success and gratitudes because of um, there's so many people and so many things I'm grateful for in my life that it's easy to focus on what I'm not. 
And so for the night before, I put in my mind as one of the last things. In the morning when I wake up, I sit down and I write it down as a way of starting my day off to being, a, you know, here's how a friend of mine puts it. He says, I'll take five minutes in the morning and I'll ask myself, I'll visualize, what would a perfect day today look like for me? And I'll take five minutes and walk through that visualization to design my perfect day. Now, does it mean that's how the day is going to go? Not necessarily. But because I've started it that way, I have a much better chance than if I wake up and go, oh, crap, I don't want to go to work today. Today is going to be a crappy day. If that's how you start your day, what do you think you're going to get? A very yes. crappy day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's so funny because what's going through my head right now is an experience that I pre recently had. And I'm sure that you'll relate to those moments that you're working with clients and they're thanking you for the lessons that you taught them. And you're like, um, you're welcome as you're writing frivolously the lesson that they're teaching you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of my clients called me one day to thank me for, um, the way that she now plans her calendar out. And I thought, yeah, we've been talking about calendar. And she's like, no, I started writing next to each thing in my calendar all the amazing feelings and things that were going to happen when that event was completed. And I thank you for that. And I'm like, you're, you're welcome. Let me write that. Let me write this down. Right. <laughs> so I think it's so interesting when you talked about um, how is the day going to go and, and how is that going to work out for you? I had never thought about doing it like event by event by event until she said that, like, I'm going to hold a meeting with my staff and it's going to be productive and we're going to be positive. And, and I thought, man, you're really smart and thank you. You know, we learn from everybody around us, right? Oh, yes. And, and that's one of the things I do when I go on stage. Uh, you know, if uh, it doesn't matter that I'm in front of thousands of people within the first 10 minutes, I come down off the stage. I purposely find someone that I know is tall because I'm not. And I'll ask them if they can assist me. I have them stand up. I stand beside them so the camera can see us on the big jumbo screens. And I'll say, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice something. I am short. <laughs> and I usually get a good chuckle and I'll thank the person and sit down and say, now, why did I tell you that? And I said, here's the lesson. Just because I'm the one on the stage doesn't mean I'm better than you. I'm not. I'm the same as you. And I want you to understand that. Is it possible there might be something I know that you don't know? Absolutely. That's why I'm here to teach you. But ladies and gentlemen, isn't it also possible every single one of you has something that you know that I don't? Absolutely. So I'm going to be learning from you as much as you learn from me this weekend. And I yeah. want you to take off. Don't put me up on a pedestal. I'm just an everyday human. And I set that context early on because I want them to understand that that, you know, my journey and a lot, getting to where I am, a lot of people go, well, I can never do that. And I want mm -hmm. them to understand that they can. And, you know, one of my mentors, probably the greatest advice they ever gave me, and this may sound strange, Amber, Probably the greatest advice that they ever um, gave me that I chose not to use is when I was learning to be a trainer, they said, Robert, when you're on stage, your audience can never believe they can be as good as you. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, why not? Well, because you've always, that keeps you a step ahead of them. And I looked at them and I said, well, I'm going to respectfully disagree. I said, the way I look at it is my goal is I don't want my students to think they can be as good as me. I want them to believe they can be better than me. Because if they believe they can be better, then they are going to impact more people. Because to get to the stage I'm at, they're going to have to help a lot of people. So if they're better than me, they're helping even more people. And that's a win for the world. And yeah. that's how I look at things. Yeah, I absolutely love that. All right. Your book is Success Left a Clue. And um, it's, I can't even begin to put into words how 
much value is in just the beginning parts of this book. So everybody should check it out. And when they are ready to do that, where do they find it? Well, you know, because you were so gracious, Amber, because you were so gracious to have me as a guest on your show and, and our time is one of our greatest commodities. As a gift from us to your audience, if they go to robertreopel.com, just my name, robertreopel.com, they're actually going to be able to download the full digital copy of this book as our gift to them. Now, it does come That's with so a amazing. caveat, though. It does come with a caveat. I didn't write this book for them to put on the shelf and make it shelf help. That's not why I wrote it. Step number three of the six steps in this book is you must take action. I'm glad you got my joke, is you have to take action. And so I wrote it as a workbook where there's action steps, as you know, all the way through. And I even write in there, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now, go back into the action before you read any further. And so I would love for your audience to go download the digital, it's a full copy, do the action steps and watch what will happen with their life. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And when they realize, which they should have already, that you were hilarious and really welcoming and just a cool guy to know, how do they reach out to you? Yeah, I am on Facebook. I've got a fan page. Just type my name, Robert Rio Pell, in. you'll find my fan page. Um, my assistant tells me I'm now on LinkedIn and Instagram. <laughs> that was nice of her. Yes, yes. And and I can I'll, I can provide you with the links if you don't already have them. Um, I don't know off the top of my head on how to get to that. I have them. Yeah, we'll throw yeah. them in the in the show notes. I'm very easy to find. And I love, even though I have an assistant, I still, when people message me, it's me. I'm the one that responds. Um, I love to interact and assist people in really tapping into their greatness. Because my, my passion and my actual, um, my mission statement is to guide and assist individuals in not only identifying but to live their purpose with passion. Because when I can help someone tap into that passion and watch those lights come on in their eyes, some for the first time or first time in years, it just fills my heart and I love that. Oh my gosh, so amazing. All right, so as much as I've enjoyed this conversation, I cannot let you off the hook from our random round. Are you ready for these questions? As long as I don't pull my hair out. Okay, I'm ready. I know, right? <laughs> I think we're safe. Um, so if you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what profession do you think would be fun to attempt? Mm. Flying. Ooh, that's amazing, and I agree. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, I would go back to, like, 1800s Scotland because – I just, I love history and to be able to be a fly on the wall or participate. Oh my goodness. That would be a blast. When I, I think that's really cool. And I've never been to Scotland or Ireland, but it is on my vision board for 2022. So, nice. um, the, um, books that you read, are you a physical book holder? Do you have to like turn pages and highlight? Are you an audio book listener? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to have that physical book. I have to have that physical book. But I also do things a little differently than a lot of people I've discovered is um, because I'm, I, I have a very addictive personality when I latch onto something, I really latch onto it. And so for me, I found that when I started reading and really finding personal development and reading, you know, personal development after personal development, I get burnt out. So my reading habits now are I will read a fictional book um, or nonfiction, like a personal development. And then I alternate and go to a fictional book. I love reading great fictional books, whether it's a Game of Thrones or I'm reading one um, right now, uh, The Street Lawyer. Uh, and I, I alternate back and forth because I find by doing that break, 
it allows me to stay passionate about my reading. Oh my gosh, that's really an interesting perspective. Um, other than your book, Success Left a Clue, what is mm -hmm. a book that you have gifted the most or recommended the most to new business mm -hmm. owners or entrepreneurs? Well, for new business owners and, and entrepreneurs, definitely E-Myth by Michael Gerber. But this may sound strange for entrepreneurs that um, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel. So Ruiz. good. It is. It's uh, so good. And when I got to meet him in person and share a stage with him, oh, what a man. What a man. So, so yeah, good. that book, especially focus on the agreement of don't take things personally. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, that's huge. That's amazing. Um, okay, so now the purely selfish question. I'm a music nerd, and I need to know what everybody listens to. What is that song that you hear and your entire day just turns around? Oh my goodness! Right now, because I love music. Right now, um, I'm into my back into my country and western phase. Oh, we're gonna be <laughs> I, friends. I, 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 I change genres, and I, and I'm just loving my country and, and western. Uh, and I'm a huge Garth Brooks fan. So like when the thunder rolls, that one's an instant turnaround. But you know, even some of the newer ones, oh, uh, oh, what is the name of the song in the group uh, that basically is like um, where he's on the boat, his wife's leaving or girlfriend. Yep, leaving, um, Old boat. Dominion. I was on a yeah, boat Old that Dominion. day. I was on a boat that day. Yeah. Seems like it was only yesterday because it was. <laughs> yes, I love that so much. Um, yeah. So I actually was able to be fortunate enough to catch Garth Brooks most recent concert here in Vegas when he opened right after COVID 65,000 people. And it wow. was, he played for two and a half hours. Like he that did his show and then he just came back and was like, if you got to go, I understand we're not going anywhere for a while. So if you want to stick around, here's my guitar. <laughs> and I'm like, who yeah. are you? You know that yeah. you don't have to do this anymore. Right. Which is so amazing. So, yeah. um, Robert, I have had such an amazing time. Unfortunately, um, we have to call it a day. Um, I know. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit of your insight, your journey, and the information that you have um, and your book, Success Left a Clue. I really appreciate you spending time with us. Oh, my pleasure, Amber. Thank you for the invite. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.